any interaction or awareness of all of the culture we live in today. As a Christian, you don't have to watch and listen very long to realize that this world is trying to kill sin. But now when I say kill sin, they, they're not trying to kill it in the sense that uh, to um, exterminate it out of our lives. They're trying to kill it to deny that it even exists. But from the standpoint of pursuing holiness, there seems to also be some confusion in the realm of those who profess the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and the nature of sin and its consequences. So, with that said, I want to bring you a message entitled The Destructive Nature of Sin. And I've shared with some of you, uh, when, I, when I picked this topic, I, 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 I was taken back to a lecture I'd, I'd listened to by Dr. Richard Mayhew of the Master Seminary. He was giving a lecture, and he told his audience that he could teach them how to outline the entire Bible in five seconds. And his outline was this. Out of the 1,189 chapters in the Bible, point number one, Genesis 1 and 2, no sin. Roman numeral 2, Genesis 3 through Revelation chapter 20, sin exists. Roman numeral 3, Revelation chapter 21 and 22, no sin. So, of the 1,189 chapters in the Bible, 1,185 deal with sin in the paradigm of God's revelation to mankind. So, um, I went ahead and took off my watch. No, we're, 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 we're not going through all 1,185. So, um, uh, but what we will do is turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. Now, just a little background in, a, in this epistle to the Ephesians. Paul spends chapter 1 communicating God's blessings in redemption. But you really can't understand the blessings from God that you have been redeemed to unless you understand what you have been redeemed from. And this is where Paul starts in chapter 2, starting with verse 1. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. What is this deadness? Spiritual deadness. Going back to the fall of Genesis 3. Man is spiritually dead. This is the condition of all mankind from Adam. And Jesus, I mean, and God told Adam in the garden in Genesis 2.17, if you eat from the tree of good and evil, of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And in Genesis 3, through the deception of Satan, that very thing happened. And in Adam, we all sin. Romans 5, chapter 12 says, Therefore, just as through one man 
sin entered into the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. And just to add that, when we sin, our sin does not just affect us. It affects everyone around us. No one sins in a vacuum. No one sins in private. No one sins where it only affects them. It affects the entire body. But what is this trespasses and sins? Trespasses, uh, a, a good, good definition is, is going in the wrong direction. You're going an opposite way. And, and sin is defined as missing the mark. God is holy. And that's the mark. God's perfect law and God's perfect holiness, that is the standard by which we are to live. If you read in Leviticus, um, over and over you see that we're called to be holy because God is holy. So anything short of the perfect obedience to God's law and his holiness is sin. But the language here, this is not only the condition we, we're in, it's the sphere that we're bound in. We're bound by this spiritual deadness in our unredeemed state. We're, we're bound in this sphere of trespasses and sin. And But how does this function? And the best illustration I could come up with is imagine the Grand Canyon where you have all of humanity on one side and you have a perfect and holy God on the other side and you have this great chasm between And you have mankind trying to jump this great chasm to get to where God is. Now, the younger and the elderly, they won't jump very far. The very athletic, they'll jump even farther. farther. But their degrees of success vary only relation, in relation to one another. In relation to achieving their goal, perfect holiness, they're equal failures. It's like a cemetery. You can have a cemetery where you, you, have, you have corpses that are in varying uh, stages of decay. But dead is dead, as we would say in the wax. Dead is dead. And that's where you are. Apart from, from the redeeming work of of. Christ, you are dead. So what's the way of escape from this fear? Jesus says in John 8, 24, when he's speaking to the Pharisees, he says, Therefore I said to, said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. The he in that verse is in italics. It could be read, I am. You either believe that Jesus is God incarnate in the flesh or you don't believe in the Christ of the Bible. So how do we escape this fear of, uh, this fear 
of uh, being dead in our trespasses and sins. We believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But if we remain in that state, and Paul, like I said, he is he's speaking how they he's speaking to believers, but how, where they formerly were, and that's kind of what the point I want to get because the unredeemed are still in this state, and this and the redeemed, this is where we have been saved from. But he says if you go to verse two through the first part of uh, verse three, he says. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So what's walking according to the course of this world? That word world is cosmos. And according, depending on the context of the passage, it, it can mean the world, the created world. It can mean the world as far as the people. But it also refers to the, the system of evil that is the path of this world. That's what Jesus is speaking about when he says, do not love the world. He's not talking about creation. He's not talking about the, uh, you know, creation where, you know, God makes provision for us uh, by, you know, the resources that it provides to, 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 to give us uh, life and, and, uh, uh, and, um, and to enjoy. He's not talking about the people because we're, we're to share the gospel with everyone. Uh, we're to love our enemies as well as loving our neighbors. But this world is on a course headed to destruction. And that's why we're warned, even though we are in the world, we're not to be of it. So the warning in relation to this course of this world, it says, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Now, what is this, or who is this, the prince of the power of the air? This is Satan himself. The course of this world is fueled by Satan and his demonic host. You see that in the uh, latter half of verse 2. And it says it's now working in the sons of disobedience. That's present tense. That's what's going on now. So how does Satan accomplish this? How did he accomplish it in the garden? He deceived. He questions God. What did he say to Adam and Eve? Has God really said? And when we look at the concept of sin, what Satan is telling the world is, 
did God really say this is sin or this is the consequences of sin? Is this really bad? Is this really true? What's God hiding from you? God just doesn't want you to enjoy life. It's the same life. And he accomplishes, accomplishes this by empowering a world system tailored to prey on the lust and desires of fleshly, weak-minded sinners bound by their spiritual deadness. If you don't believe me, turn on your television. Turn on your computer. We are inundated with images that sear our conscience. We see things we can't unsee. You know, God gives us our conscience as a warning mechanism to drive us to know when we sin against him. But our conscience can be corrupted, and it is corrupted until it's redeemed. Our conscience is falling like the rest of us. I remember hearing a quote by the romantic poet, poet William Blake when he was speaking about the eye. He said, this life's dim windows of the soul distorts the heavens from pole to pole and lead us to believe a lie when we see with and not through the eye. This world course, this world system, this path of destruction that Satan is propagating and leading and that our flesh is prone to is when we look with our eyes with no conscience that we don't see what we're doing and what we're seeing as sin when we see it as something that will not affect us it will not we we lie to ourselves and that's the destructive nature of sin that we ignore we explain away it's just me we don't think it affects anybody else but us so how do we know this is satan's work turn over to ephesians chapter 6 Paul summarizes this epistle with, the, with these words, uh, verses 10 through 17. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist the evil day 
and having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith, which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, this world has trivialized the concept of Satan and his work in this world to the point where the devil is almost a comic book character. But I ask you this, if I was your enemy, the greatest camouflage that I could have is for you to believe that I'm not a threat or I don't even exist. And it's the same with sin. Until we see sin, until, as Aaron said, until we confess it using the same standard that God defines our sin by. We're bound by it. You know, God is very particular in how he is worshipped. You know, there's example after example after example. Um, uh, if, if you read about Aaron's son and the sons in the priesthood, Nadab and Abihu, it said, you know, they... Uh, took their censers and, and offered strange fire below, before the Lord and fire came out from the altar and consumed them. They were attempting to worship God on their terms and it's sin. You will worship God as he calls you to worship or you do not worship him at all. And if you look at the latter half of verse 3, where it says, And were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So sin is not only synonymous with death, that was point number one. I think I failed to mention point number two. It synchronized to Satan's system. Hope you appreciate the alliteration there. But sin is also subject to God's wrath. By nature, we are under God's wrath. In our unredeemed state, we will suffer God's wrath. Sin will be judged. God's wrath will be poured out in full measure on those who die in their trespasses and sins. Because if that's the sphere that we're in, in our unredeemed state, and we die in that state, that's where we are. That's what Jesus was telling the Pharisees when he said, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. As Dr. R.G. Lee, a, a famous Baptist preacher, had a, had a sermon called, There's a Payday Someday. So throughout history, 
from creation to the consummation of all things, God has and will pour out his holy wrath on the ungodly. We have examples, if you read in Acts 12, which seems like a long time ago, because <laughs> we, we just finished. But you remember Herod, um, uh, and Luke almost puts it in there to, to warn us, because um, it almost seems out of place where Herod is giving, uh, uh, speaking to the crowd, and, and the people are saying uh, the voice of a God, not a man. And it says an angel came and struck him, and he was eaten by worms because he did not give glory to God. God exhibits his wrath on individuals. He exhibits it on cities. God pours his wrath out on cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. Nations, the Canaanite nations. You read in the book of Judges, God used Israel as a, and, and, and Joshua as an uh, instrument of judgment and the uh, bringers of wrath. And then you have the worldwide cataclysm of the flood where in Genesis chapter 6 where God looks and every intent of man's heart is evil and that didn't end with the flood Paul says there is none righteous no not one there is none that seeks after God In our unredeemed state, the only God we seek is the God of our choosing. And that's idolatry. So, <clears throat> what about this present day? How, it, are we under God's wrath now? Is God judging sin now? If you look in Romans chapter 1 and read verses 18 through 32, and I believe this is really where we're at in this present day in a world system that's energized by Satan, but not outside the sovereignty of God. As Martin Luther said, the devil is God's devil. We don't, under, we don't understand it, but, you know, Satan can only operate within the confines of which God limits him. But God exercises his wrath on sin, sometimes by the wrath of abandonment. God just gives them over. You'll see in three times in verses 18 through uh, 32, it says God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. Until they're destroyed. That's what sin does. That's where it leads. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10.
And this is a dreadful warning here. It says, starting in verse 26, it says, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there, is, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of a living God. Are you terrified today? Many should be. Many should be. When we are called to confess our sin, the only way is to see our sin as God sees it the violation of his holy standard and nothing less. Anything less is the lie propagated from the fall. You will not surely die. To those who profess Christ as Savior, but sin dominates your life, you better examine yourself. As Paul admonishes in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, you better know that you passed the test of faith. Explicitly stated within God's holy word, and this is a good starting point to see if you pass that test. Do you see your sin as God sees it? Or do you see yourself as a victim of life's circumstances? That sin is something that is the result of what's being done to you or your environment or how others have wronged you rather than what's in you. Everyone will be judged on, according to his own sin. If you pass the test, it comforts you that your faith is grounded in the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ and the latter damns you to a life of self-deception Believing, believing you're a child of God when in reality you are a child of wrath doomed for judgment. You better know. You better know. Sin is something that we daily have to kill in our lives. John Owen 
And I want to thank Aaron for sending this to me last night. And John Owen, in the mortification of sin, and I want to, I want to leave you with this. He says, do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. We have to understand how sin violates God's holy standard and his holiness and how heinous it is. It's not simply wrongdoing. We cannot trivialize it. We cannot be ignorant of Satan's schemes. Uh, that, that word schema means methods. And how does Satan present himself? As an angel of light. You cannot be discerning if you do not know. Let's pray. Father, I just pray for each one here, Lord, that if there are those here who do not name the name of Christ, who have not been born again by your Spirit, who have not been filled to walk in newness of life, who have not been freed from the sphere of deadness of sin, I pray, Lord, that you will move on their hearts and that light will shine in them this very moment. And Father, I pray for those who name you as Lord and Savior, but keep sin at arm's length. Where it's close enough to, to grab and to, to touch and to covet Father I pray that you will break them from the cycle of sin that destroys the body destroys fellowship destroys relationships And Father, it, it, it kills. Sin kills. Father, I pray those who may be deceived that you will put them to the test and that they will be cleansed from their unrighteousness or they will be broken if they don't know you. Father, let us see 
our offense against you, the one and true holy God, for what it is. And it continually drives us to kill sin in our lives through the power of the Spirit that we may honor you and glorify you. And we remain in that place of blessing because we honor you. Because you made us alive. Thank you for providing the bridge to that great chasm between us and you in the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we ask. Amen.